that some punk that I've known since I'm 12 years old won't get out of my life. I can't get my hand raised, no matter how much I beat his ass. So Shane, you don't look at Cactus Jack and say, hey, my best friend is on his way to fulfill his destiny. You look at it like, hey, my best friend's trying to nail my old girl, and he might do it better than me. third instalment of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name's Del Muir. I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. Afternoon. Hello, Chris. And Bobby Bamber. Hello, Bob. Hello, Del. Hello there. And we're on to the, the three instalments this month. Bob, we're starting with ECW and this started Volume 3. Volume 1, we took a look back at WCW and their coverage of the recent Slamboree pay-per-view. And Volume 2... We've already looked at the WWF's venture into monthly pay-per-views with the In Your House franchise. But we're here to discuss the ECW happenings for May. Mainly a TV review this month, quite a quiet month for ECW. But we'll start off with the news. Bob, fire away. A relatively quiet month for, for May by ECW standards, but live events and hardcore TV have mainly featured the Sandman's first full month at ECW champion and the feud between Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero for the TV title. These two will play out in a series of 30-minute time limit draws that have been argued already as mini-classics and must be seen as potential for match or, if not already, feud of the year. And as Bob says, Sandman still your ECW champion this month. He's pretty much spent the full of May feuding with Cactus Jack, not out with the involvement of former champion Shane Douglas. Predictably, the two would feature in some almost at times disturbingly violent brawls, but we will have a full rundown of both feuds for the TV and the world titles later in the show. ECW's other main feud at present involves the Raven and Tommy Dreamer, and it took an interesting turn this month with the debut of former WS star and niece of Moorish Mad Dog Vachon, Luna. Luna would side with Tommy Dreamer and will be revealed later in the month that she used to be Raven's girlfriend, mirroring the siding of Beulah McGillicutty, the former girlfriend of Dreamer, last month with Raven. And lastly, a couple of kind of sketchy reports coming in at the minute with regards to potential changes backstage in ECW. It's between on-screen commissioner Todd Gordon and manager Paul E. Dangerously. The rumours are currently building, but at present there's no concrete reports, so we'll just be monitoring this in the situation as the year progresses. As much as I'm focused on Raven, I'm distracted. You see, we have a new heavyweight champion in extreme championship wrestling. A man who represents nothing. 
the Sandman. I also have to deal with the fact that some punk that I've known since I'm 12 years old won't get out of my life. I can't get my hand raised, no matter how much I beat his ass. And that's exactly what I have to do to you, Sandman. Because I know the heavyweight belt's got to come off you. You're a disgrace. And I need a title shot. And if I can't beat you, then I'll pray. I'll get down on my hands and knees and I will pray that somebody can beat you. Because as you as the heavyweight champion, God help the ECW. So, firing off with the TV review for the month, start on the 2nd of May, um, we've got quite a lot of recaps to start the start of the month as per ECW, kind of looking back to the two big live events last month, we've got a bit of a, a development in the Shane Douglas situation, just going back to last month when we saw his representative talking legally from a standpoint of what Shane Douglas's future holds, and we've also got a couple of highlights from the Hostile City Showdown end, where Sandman became your new ECW champion. There's a bit of a recap on the Raven and Tommy Dreamer schedule, and also we get Tommy Dreamer talking about Raven and the Sandman. Now, gentlemen, we start off this month, and it's, as we alluded to in the news, it's something that played quite a big part in ECW this month. It's a um, feud between Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. It's for the TV title. Um, just going in, what was your thoughts going into this match just before we run through the, the match itself? What did you think, Bob, about this, this match being set up? How did you think it was going to play out? Um, well, well, tricky in the sense that I, I had already seen this last month. Um, in terms of I, I did. Catch... Right, right enough, you'd seen the Hostel City Showdown, hadn't you? Yeah, yeah. So I, I had seen that, but in terms of how it was presented, I mean, it was kind of the the logical follow-on from uh, the Guerrero Two Cold match that we reviewed yeah. last month. Um, and I think in terms of again, difficult to say for, for more than one reason because I'd also read r- reports of this match being very good when they taped it before I saw it the first time. Um, so yeah, I think Chris is probably in a better place to answer that question going in than I was. Yeah. And you go, Chris. I had my eyes were sort of tingling and everything was like, this is going to be <laughs> amazingly great because I've seen everything I've seen of Guerrero, be it the A, the AAA stuff and his few matches in ECW have been amazing. I know how much of a good worker Malinko is, and I'm just thinking these two together can only be gold. It's just right, it's right up our street, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so in case you can't tell with me and me and Chris and even Bob, kind of marvelling at this technical masterclass, we're going to go into a match review here. I make no apologies for the length of this. It's a 30 minute time limit draw, and it's arguably my match of the year so far, so please bear with me. Um, we've got a 30 minute time limit match, as we said, for the TV title of ECW. Champion Eddie Guerrero, and he's going up against Dean Malenko. Pretty early, pretty early start, really kind of starts off, almost try to suss each other out. Bit of a power advantage to Dean Malenko, obviously with that weight advantage, but Eddie gets him down, tries to work over the ankle. Couple of really quick exchanges at the start as well, with Malenko getting in an arm lock. Eddie covers it into an arm drag, and then there's a hammer lock through Malenko. Eddie showing his speed as the shooter goes to the outside to try and get a bit of, a bit of kind of leeway at the start and kind of size up himself for the, the match that's starting. Um, Eddie gets a, a head scissors onto Dean Malenko. Malenko then gets out back. The standoff between the two and the fans are on their feet already. Um, the match starts to slow down a little bit, as you can understand, with a 30-minute time limit. There's an armbar for Eddie. Malenko counters it, but Eddie manages to get it locked back in. 
Bit of a test of strength. The middle of the match is a beautiful bridge from Dean Malenko right down onto the back of his neck. Um, Guerrero manages to take him down, gets a somersault plancha, but Malenko manages to get his foot on the ropes to break up the, the pinfall. Um, there's a double underhook suplex from Dean Malenko. Starts working on Guerrero's arm as well. Um, Eddie shows a bit of a bad, a niggling neck leg injury to Dean does manage to get a, it's like an amazing kind of grapevine to the leg and then he manages to turn it into a, a submission move as well. Dean Malenko just living up to his shooter name by kind of just working over Eddie's knee at this point and the champion starts to be, starts to be struggling. He gets his knee wrapped around the post. Malenko continues to work over and Eddie Guerrero's just selling like a boss at this point. He does manage to get a two count. It's a fisherman suplex and a standing delayed power bomb. Another two count, but then there's a spinning DDT from Eddie from the second rope. Malenko manages to kick out a couple of times, but it gets the it kind of gets close to getting the three point. At this point, it's really it's really kind of building up into a great match. There's a hurricanrana from Eddie from the second rope. He does kind of get slow at the pinfall, just selling that knee injury. It's really kind of really good story that they're, that they're building up. Eddie goes for a surfboard stretch, but he then gets it reversed into a modified clover leaf from the Malenko. Malenko gets into the corner, starts doing the powers, the ten punch spot in the corner on a on Eddie, but Eddie lifts him, and the two of them go collapse into the outside over the ropes. Guerrero tries to get a suplex on Eddie Malenko, getting him back in, but the shooter reverses it. Eddie goes tumbling onto the concrete. Dean Malenko at this point almost attempts a plancha from the ring, but Eddie moves. Dean hits the hits the ground. Eddie gets back up to the top, hits a crossbody to the outside. Both men are down again. The clap, the fans are just lapping up the the athleticism that they're seeing. We got a brainbuster for Dean Malenko. Can't get the cover. Tries again, but Eddie blocks and hits him with his own brainbuster. Just frog splash from Eddie Guerrero, but. The shooter Dean Malenko manages to kick out a couple of times with the, the near fall attempts from Eddie. Eddie whips Dean Malenko into the, into the corner, but he gets it blocked. So Northern Lights suplex to Guerrero with again another wonderful bridge from Dean Malenko. Nearest fall of the match so far. Dean then goes for a clover leaf. Eddie just dives to the ropes just to try and protect the, the legs that he's kind of get injured with Dean so far in the match. He gets power bombed. Dean again goes for the clover leaf. Eddie manages to roll him up, gets another two count. Eddie then gets a wrist lock, jumps into the ropes, hits a head scissors, modified torture rack for Eddie, into the pin, gets a two count, Malenko reverses for a two, Eddie reverses for a two, Dean Malenko reverses for a two, and no one has won the match so far. Crowd really heating up as the match gets to its climax, Eddie goes to the top, Malenko follows him, Eddie gets a sunset flip, another two count, and the time limit expires. We got a draw. The crowds chant for five more minutes, but Malenko, being the sportsman that he has, he acknowledges Eddie at the end. The two of them walk off gracefully. Bob, I'm going to start with you here. You're not a great fan of technical wrestling. You can see it as a wee bit arty sometimes for your taste, but what did you think of this? Excellent. Um, yeah, this was really, really good. Um, it's hard... In a way, having watched all the WWF and WCW stuff over the last kind of year, 18 months, I almost didn't recognise this. It's like this almost, this isn't really anything I've seen even in ECW. I mean, I guess we, we, we've yeah. had the, the, the great match with, with Benoit and Al Snow from February. 
but in terms of just nothing akin to anything we've seen outside of ECW in the last 18 months, and yet it's still able to call itself professional wrestling. I mean, th- this was this was really really good. I mean, I'd be a bit critical of what they what they followed it with in, in, in the weeks that followed. It's kind of like one time that draw makes sense, but when you're trying to tell me that they've they've had like three out of five, it almost seems a bit preposterous. Yeah. Um, but in terms of what they did in, in that match, I mean, I, I don't watch much stuff twice during this project. I watched this match three times now. It was <laughs> that good. Um, and yeah, both guys deserve a lot of credit. And you know, the the fans have got distracted a little bit in the middle but otherwise they were they were pretty captivated for the entire thing um and 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 i think the other thing we can say about this match it didn't feel like 30 minutes it didn't feel that long and and i've seen we've had matches on this show last year when when uh when lord stephen regal was doing his old tv title stick um and he faced iron anderson in a match that lasted 28 minutes and i think we had a uh, a nasty boys tag match that went about 27 on one show. I think it may have been at the end of 93. Um, those matches felt every minute and some. This really didn't. And, and that's probably, well, not the best, but one of the things I can say about it. But yeah, phenomenal action. Um, really good. I think uh, on balance, I probably would say I preferred Benoit and also slightly more just because it was a bit more fast paced and a bit more yeah. hard hitting. But that's just personal preference. This was, this was fantastic. And it's something that we'll talk about later in the, the show as well when we come up to the, like the rematch of this, this contest where we get another 30 minute time limit draw, but there is definite camera cuts in the middle of this. This ran from bell starting to bell ending. It was 30 minutes. Lasted the full show, pretty much a couple of bits at the start, a couple of bits at the end, but it didn't feel it at all. Chris, what did, what did you make of this? We know this is our kind of thing. What was your thoughts? Seeing the fact that I've recently been rewatching a lot of 89s, Flare and steamboat stuff. It harps back to the amazingness of those two in their prime going yeah. at it. Uh, that that's the highest compliment I can give them because Flare and Steamboat in their prime were the greatest matches of the eighties. I mean, these two, if they can keep doing this, as Bob said, the two, the the extra time limit draws that they've been doing. Uh, you know, because they've had five matches and three of them have gone to draws. Is that pushing it a little bit too much with going the distance? To, but... to be fair, only I think only one and a half of them have aired on TV. And I, I just think it's more a case of I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't be calling it on TV that we're having this thing where we're saying, yeah, we're having all these time limit draws when most other guys don't do time limit draws. So that, that was what I would say. Mm. But... The thing is, with, with this, it harps back to when using submission holds and rest holds meant something. Every time they put a move in, it was for a purpose. It wasn't just so they could sit there for a couple of minutes and do nothing. You know, it was an innovative type of submission holds. There was sort of counter, counter wrestling from the submission holds. It was, it, all I can say is the match of the year so far, and it's gonna take a hell of a lot to beat it. I said the same with, with the Elsner and Benoit. This yep. beats that. Said it February, said it March, never said it in, in May again, Chris, and um, I think I've probably agreed with you every time as well. I'm, I'm gonna have to say, WWF and uh, WCW need to step their game up if they're gonna get anywhere near match of the year contenders for this year. 
Oh, think... sure, they're, they're, they're not, they're not gonna get close to this. Like, the, the, the six months isn't enough time to make the changes you'd need to have this kind of match. And, unless they steal both of these two and then give them the, <laughs> with the higher production value. That's and that, that pretty much, that pretty much sums us up for that first week. I totally agree with both of you. I mean, Chris, just the idea of seeing these two in that bigger stage with the fancier lights and the bigger crowds and, it's just absolutely, absolutely mouth-watering, Bob. I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to steal your gimmick for the show as well. And if anybody is looking for anything from May 1995 to go back to look at, first week ECW's Hardcore TV, second to May 95. I think I forget May. I'd just say 95. Like, Probably, I, I, yeah. I mean, dare I say we'll be sitting here in six, six, seven months and saying the same thing. You might be right. If you don't really follow along in terms of going back and watching the stuff that we review and you're looking for the odd thing to go back, this will be top of my list and I get the sense it will still be at the end of the year. It's a half an hour of your life that you'll enjoy spending watching wrestling. Here we be, Johnny and Florida, the beautiful Kabozo. Oh, Bozo, this ain't no Kabozo. No, Kabozo. Oh, I'm sorry, Johnny, oh. I didn't know. I tell you, who said all of that pain and blood and sweat wasn't worth it? Look at how we're relaxing here in this beautiful oh, climate, Florida. Florida. Marlins, Florida, ECW, going all around the world now, Rocco. And you know what? Hey, champ. Hey, champ. That's right, man, because we're the champs. Well, do you think that we'd be drinking this fine, beautiful Thunderbird wine? Oh, Rocco, it could stop to on the bottle. 1992. The toast, Rocco. Wait a minute. You think we should be drinking before a big match? Sure, the Sandman, he'd be drunk all the time. That alcoholic. Right, and he's a world extreme heavyweight champion. Cactus Jack, don't let him breathe on you. Here's to you. Down the hatch, Johnny. Cheerio. Ooh, Rocco, that's some good Better than stuff. <laughs> Ooh, night training, got nothing. Thank you, Let's get some more. So, moving on, we've got 9th of May. Start off with uh, Cactus Jack promo. This actually takes a bit of a trend for the month. Cactus really just delivering in spades with the, the microphone work that he can do. He's building up a title match with, with a Sandman that's coming up later in our show. And he does get ambushed by the triple threat. Shane Douglas is there with Malenko and Benoit. Accidentally hits the Sandman when the Sandman comes out of nowhere. We've then got a lovely segment, as usual, from... Dale, can I end. just in, in, interrupt on, on that segment? Um, Sorry, mate, on you go. No, I... Was I the only one who felt this segment was a bit weird? Uh, we get the segment at the end of the show. It, it almost felt like they were trying to be a bit like... TV style in that the, 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 the Cactus Jack thing you've got Jack's doing his talk and then he goes to walk out the door opens the door and then Shane Douglas is stood in the thing behind Benoit and Malenko that bit made sense but they filmed it with two cameras which is very un-ECW like for a kickoff anyway and again which comes back to the TV thing but it felt really weird the way that Sandman walks in and then Douglas kind of goes to shake towards Sandman and then Malenko and Benoit for no real reason just push Douglas into the corner to hold him off and then the camera turns round and woman addresses 
Shane Douglas down the camera lens, despite the fact that Douglas is stood behind the camera. It was uh, Chris. What did you think? I I, I, it, I don't know whether I'm going insane on that, but I, I didn't think it worked. It was the first time of anything in ECW that actually looks scripted. If you know what I mean, I understand that it's wrestling and it's all scripted, and we all know that they have what the plan is for what they're doing. But it looked scripted. It didn't look natural, unlike what most of ECW stuff does. But they all feel a bit unlaced for you too. God, it was a little bit days of our lives, yes. It all felt a bit out of place as well. It all felt a bit like I get the sense in in either of the other two, it would have would have felt sat a bit better. Um, but yeah, this, this and the segment at the end, and, and Dal, you, you'll, you'll come to it when they're in the dressing room. Um, they both look overly scripted and I kind of hope they don't go that way. It was all a bit kind of like, a lot of things in ECW when we have these promo interactions feel quite organic, they're quite quick. This, the pacing was all wrong, the two camera thing was all wrong. Um, and yeah, this felt like they were reading from a, a script, and I don't think that's the direction ECW should be going down. Well, you've made your comments on that, Bob, and the organic nature of the of the segment getting kind of almost shunned at that point. Personally, I can't think of anything more organic than Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge sitting in a boat in the middle of Florida drinking Thunderbird as the sun sets behind them. I thought that was lovely. If I'm and, being uh, picky, they weren't on a boat, were they? They, they were on kind of like a... I thought they was were on like a... Was it maybe like a veranda they were on? I thought yeah. it was maybe like a boat they were on looking over the ocean and maybe... I know, I know right. you're interpreting it, but no, I think it was a I think it was a fixed kind of veranda thing on one of those houses that sit over a lake or something like that. Enough, a, that that's definitely organic for me. The, the boys have done well. They've came a long way if you've been in the hood. And uh, in case this episode wasn't strange enough, we then see a cameo from Norman Smiley, who maybe maybe remembered with some of the some of the listeners. Seen him in a quick match with Mikey Whipwreck, and they were going up against Malenko and Benoit. We're not going to focus too much on this. It was a lot of camera cuts. It wasn't a wasn't a terrific match, but the fact that Norman Smiley still looks unbelievably ripped at the age he must be at this point. Certainly needs a, certainly needs a mention. Um, again, we're going back to the, the women in Sandman stuff. We cut to them at ringside with Metallica playing the crowds, just really lap them up the, the women in Sandman aspect at this point with them carrying that title belt. We've got character center. They're going to have their, their title match and the Sandman then just throws his cigarette at Cactus Jack when it's still lit. Um, kind of something that we're going to talk about at the, the end of this show might be touching on just the general sustainability of this ECW style with a focus more on the E than the W. But we've got cheese graters in this match, a soda can getting hit to Sandman. Sandman's bleeding, he goes, um, catches chat and goes for his apron elbow, lands in a trash can. We get a table brought in, Sandman's thrown through it. Something we won't dwell on too much at the minute because it's a unbelievably ridiculous spot coming at the end of the month involving Sandman in a table. But it's just a kind of almost a typical showing of what we would really expect to Sandman as a champion at this point, where it's kind of just a reason to have a a walk and brawl at any at any opportunity. But as Bob was alluding to there a couple of minutes ago, post match. We get Cactus Jacks kind of raging into the, the locker room of the triple threat. There's then that, that pull apart brawl. Shane Douglas comes in, challenges Cactus, but the Sandman walks in behind him and says it won't be that easy, Bob. It was, it was again kind of feeling, 
as you said earlier, almost a bit too reliant upon that kind of scripted side of it. Whether this is something that they've maybe got when Sandman's involved in an angle, when no Douglas can talk, when no characters can talk, but it just didn't really feel ECW. I don't know about you. Yeah, it, it's not really the kind of segment that ECW do all that often anyway. I mean, invariably, mm. um, when they, um, you know, when they do these kind of segments, they will just do it in terms of having a, you know, a very quick segment and then a brawl. And so it's not really the kind of thing. And look, this was a long segment. It wasn't. Um, but equally, you have this kind of odd thing where Douglas finishes his line and just at that moment, Sandman walks in and says, you know, smoking his fag and saying, it's not going to be that easy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 oh, God, the laugh. At the end. Yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 just a miss. I, I, I don't think it was all that good anyway. But given what ECW is and what they kind of do, I just, I don't, I don't get it. it it's one of those of again, the same as at the beginning of the show. It was just like it's too soap. It's too, it's too TV for ECW. Yeah, it, it needed the sort of maniacal dun 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 at the end of it, and it would have been ah, come back next week to see if he's been killed. Nice wee slow and fade it to be continued. Dot dot dot. Join us next week. Well, totally, we, totally. We, we, do, we do get that at the end of the month. To be fair, well, that, actually, that is true. Maybe maybe alluding to that a bit too a bit too blatantly there. So moving on, 16th of May, biggest part of this show, we've got the Raven Tommy Dreamer feud. They start with a. A match and it really just starts quick from the offset. We've got kind of similar to Owen Hart at the King of the Ring last year. We've got Raven just blasting Tommy Dreamer with a diving drop kick, almost like a, a baseball slide to the outside as Tommy tries to get into the ring. Um, he tries to hit him with, with the steel chairs on the outside, but Tommy reverses it. Raven gets blasted in with a baiting tray and a dozen eggs, um, just to make their way through the crowd quickly. The back body dropped to Raven on the concrete. We then get a license plate coming into a bloody Raven at this point. Tommy crotches him with a house microphone and we seem to have a new trend last year. It was frying pans. This year it seems to be cheese graters. Um, we've got another cheese grater in on the fold. Tommy cuts up Raven some more, but then gets whipped through a table for his troubles. We get a DDT to Raven, but Stevie comes up, Steve Richards comes up, tries to distract Tommy for the outside. Tommy then only gets the two count. There's a whip to the corner by Raven, power slams Dreamer onto the chair and the rebound, and Raven gets the win. Tommy's still looking for that three count over his old four. And um, as we talked about at the, the start in the news, we then get Steve Richards spitting at Dreamer after the bell. Dreamer DDTs him. DDT's the referee, and then a neck-braced Beulah McGillicott. He takes another pile driver from Tommy, and Raven comes in to stand strong. The the numbers game at this point catching up with Tommy as, the, as Raven and um, Steve Richards are there kind of beating on him. But out of nowhere, we see a blast from the past. We've got Luna Vachon. Now, she's coming up to back up Tommy Dreamer. They then embrace in the ring, have a bit of a kiss, have a pose, and the crowd chants ECW. Happy to see Luna back on TV. Bob, what do you make of this kind of partnership here? Obviously, we get a bit of it maybe coming more towards the end of the show and the the um, the kind of history that these four have got, Beulah and Luna and Raven and Dreamer. But what do you think of this as a pair? Um, I guess it's an odd ball pairing, but I guess that's the idea. 
Um, you know, I, I think had it not been for Luna, they'd have probably looked for, for for someone else with a maybe not someone with a, with a similar level of history because they're, they're they're few and far between. But in terms of someone who's similarly out there, um, I, I guess it makes sense. I guess it fits into the kind of Raven backstory, so I don't really have a problem with that. Um, and equally. I guess it's also you know, the inevitable Luna and Stevie Richards match, I assume. It's definitely got to be a possibility, Chris, would you think? It it gives it another facet to the ever-growing pot of Raven and Tommy Dreamer. Um, I wonder if you're going to get Luna and Beulah go at it, because if we do, I feel sorry for Beulah. Uh, I, I don't fancy our chances. I, I wouldn't do that match. I, I wouldn't be doing that match because I, I don't, you know, Beulah is the, well, not you know, the heel, we're talking about ECW, but Beulah on, on the heel side here, I think you'd safely say, and, and, and Luna on the face side. I don't think it's believable that, that Beulah could last. That's why I kind of said doing Luna and Stevie Richards. I think that's, ironically enough, that's probably a far more realistic match. Congress. Yep, definitely, definitely legs in that one. I must give you that one, Bob. Um, but yeah, cutting back stage. Sorry, Chris. I was just saying, I could see Luna killing Stevie. And that would actually be quite funny in him and his, him and his Daisy Dukes getting beaten by a woman. And yet another chapter in the ongoing saga known as Dreamer and Raven continues. See, the flesh is weak, but the mind is strong. Raven, you've always been weak. I've seen fear in your eyes. I know now I can never really escape our past, but now I have someone out of your past. She laid with the lepers, climbed the highest mountain of Tibet, and spoke to the man with the third eye, and was strapped to the tree of woe for 30 days. But most of all, she's always been hardcore. Is there, is there any yearnings? Quite as bonded in his rage. You see, I am the woman that has stood in the shadow and the strength of many warriors. And no longer will I stand behind them. But now, my dream is to stand beside him. There will be no holding me back. I've always been a misfit. I never think to your holes. But now, two misfits join together. Yep, and I mean, cutting by stage of think, it just, it seems to be a really strange month for some of these segments this month in ECW, but we've got a, a promo backstage with the public enemy, and they've got their backs to the camera. Um, cut a couple of seconds later, after a remarkable impression, the turn around, it's actually the pit bulls. Um, just really, really nice to kind of see this side of the, the pit bulls, one and two. We've seen it briefly last month in a, a backstage promo segment. They're then doing impressions of the public enemy. These these two might actually have a bit of, a bit of personality. Um, Hands up, who bought this one? Because I did. I, I was convinced. I did. I totally bought into it, Bob. I'll be honest. I thought it was Johnny and Johnny and Rocco. Didn't they think anything of it. I thought it's a bit strange that they're 
kind of facing with their backs to the camera, but then when they turned around, it was a pit bull, so it was, it was just brilliant, and it's, it's just nice to see that, see that side to them. Obviously, Dylan with Jason for that amount of time certainly rubbed off on them. Douglas will be the special guest referee tonight as the Sandman defends the World Heavyweight Championship against my guest at this time, the challenger, Cactus Jack. Joey, don't you think you're being just a little bit too hard on the franchise? Can't you see that the franchise is a man with a broken heart? Put yourself in his place. Haven't you ever had your heart broken? No, I'm the man who goes out there in just a few short minutes to achieve my destiny as a heavyweight champion of the world. But I can't help to think of Shane Douglas, a broken man. And despite what he may have said about his addiction to women, I happen to know what broke Shane's heart was not a woman, was not a female being. It was the belt! You see, Shane, you don't have a weakness for the women, although you might like the world to think so. You've got a weakness for the gold! That little symbol that tells you you are an important man in this world, Shane, that you're not a mid-card wrestler! Well, I'll stand here right now, and I'll tell you, you're not a mid-card wrestler. What you are right now is the link in my journey to the heavyweight championship of the world. And Shane, i got to face the fact that you are a man with an obsession for that belt that makes O.J. Simpson look like a matrimonial philanthropist. So, Shane... You don't look at Cactus Jack and say, hey, my best friend is on his way to fulfill his destiny. You look at it like, hey, my best friend's trying to nail my old girl, and he might do it better than me. Well, Shane, snap out of it and call this one down the line, or I'll send you down the line on a very rocky road to Stanford. Bang, bang! But um, next up, we've got the title match with the addition of a special referee. Touched quickly on it for last week's TV review, but we've now got the franchise Shane Douglas being his special referee position for this match. Bob, I need to start with you. Shane Douglas's tights. I think it's worth seeking out the episode just to see them. (laughs) I mean... uh, yeah, they're amazing. Basically, just to describe them, they're essentially like um, full-length trouser, like legging type things, and they're basically zebra tights. They're amazing. And I mean, I thought Mr. Perfect at WrestleMania 10 done well with an innovative kind of special guest referee outfit. Douglas might just have tipped him here. Um, it's a shame Douglas is it instead of just having black trousers and a referee shirt, comes out with a black ECW shirt and referee tights, which are apparently a thing um, so again almost kind of harken back to last week's review when we've got Sam and a cactus going up one and one it's straight to the outside a brawl run ringside trash can to Sandman but because we've got Shane Douglas in this match again he's harking back to the glory days of pro wrestling doesn't want the hardcore stuff doesn't want the lackey rules Shane Douglas warns cactus takes the chair gets them back into the ring Franchise then takes the Sandman's cane from him, showing that he could possibly be 50-50 here in this refereeing. He's kind of almost minimal wrestling really involved in it. Cactus works over the Sandman, but again, they end up getting back to the outside. Woman then chokes Cactus with the cane as Douglas admonishes Sandman at the other side of the ring. Sandman then actually manages a wrestling move because he gets a snapmare onto Cactus. 
but then women, when she's trying to choke at characters again, gets sent to the back by Shane Douglas. Could it be that he is actually being a fair guy in this? Um, Jack gets a chair as Douglas is dealing with women. They go into the crowd. Sandman just batters characters with a trash can. And then as they get back into the ring, Douglas misses a mule kick to Sandman. And it was because, quote-unquote, he was readjusting his contact lens. Now, there's a slowish count for characters here. Characters has got Sandman pinned. Quite slowish. Then goes for it again. A very slow count. Goes to get Sandman again. who just looks to be out on his feet at this point. And we then get a dead slow count from Shane Douglas. There's a double D, a double arm DDT to Sandman. Again, it's a slow count. Cactus then just getting in Douglas's face. Cactus shoves him back and then goes to attack Sandman in the corner. Now, apparently, it was a closed fist, as per our undoubtable authority in Shane Douglas. Douglas then counts one, two, three, four, five. Somewhat questionably, calls for the bell because Sandman didn't adhere to his five count, and Sandman retains. Bob, what did you make of this? Can I, I think we'll just kind of really talk about this angle as it is at the minute. I mean, the Sandman Douglas cactus situation, the way that it's been booked, Sandman beat Douglas for the belt last month as we covered. Cactus is now challenging him for that belt. Douglas, we thought, was on his way to WWF, possibly still is, more than likely still is. But these three kind of being in the position that they are, what do you think of the way that this has been booked? Um, shall we get to the end of the month first? Because I, I don't think there's much warranty in, in, in discussing where we're at now until we've got another two weeks of TV to do. Nah, fair um, enough. We'll cover, we'll cover that once we buy the... By the 23rd and the 30th, but it's definitely something that I think we need to, we need to be talking about at the end of the show. Um, so I mean, cutting on to the, the 23rd just after that, that title match, um, we've got a kind of brief, um, brief kind of highlight package of the Florida tour that ECW's been on, just kind of showing maybe some of the guys that I haven't been seen so far in the month. We've got Paulie Dangerously 911, we've got the Public Enemy again, we've also got a random appearance of Marty Gennetti. And the Rottens, Ian and Axel there as well. Now, something that's kind of, again, leading on to the subject that we're going to be talking about at the end of the show, which is this kind of sustainability ECW, whether it's their, their kind of revolutionary attitude or the style of the wrestling. We've got another homage to last year that some of the listeners might remember from Terry Funk and Cactus Jack going up against the public enemy, where fans were almost urged to throw their chairs into the ring. This happened again in Florida, Obviously, with the strides that ECW has been making in the last six to nine months, it's got a, quite a bit of attention this time. Where it's, it looks as if it's hundreds of chairs that's been thrown into the ring. ECW obviously kind of living up to their reputation package. That's in the highlights of Florida, but it's certainly something that didn't make um, didn't go without making waves in the in the business. Um, but moving on, as I say, twenty third of May, we've got nine one one coming out at the start and he's actually going to be getting in ring with the Taz Maniac um, Taz and 911 are going to be forging a tag team and they're going up against a, a new tag team ECW the Oriental Connection um, big pop for Paul E Dangerously as he comes out he leads a Taz chant 911 actually stays on the floor he's on the outside Taz says he can deal with the, the Oriental Connection themselves pretty much they kind of try to tag team Taz at the start but there's a double 
belly-to-belly suplex from the Tasmaniac. 9-1-1 does come in. Hits a double choke slam. One of the Orientals doesn't really kind of take too much of a bump on it, so they make up for it. 9-1-1 gets them up again. Some pretty decent hang time and batters them both down. 9-1-1 then pins both of the, the Oriental Express with one hand each. That's it, done and dusted. Um, again, kind of cutting backstage, we got another pre-tape promo for the public enemy. Just usually a highlight in my year in ECW TV. They're at a country club this time and they're playing tennis. Um, quite a quite a solid understanding of the rules of the game. Johnny then hits a home run. Bob, you Bob, you really liked this, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, this was great. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, this was really good. Um, yeah, essentially they're they're, they're warming up for their uh, their next. Well, actually, no, sorry, they're warming up for some title defenses in Japan. Actually, yeah, um, and so they're out playing a spot of tennis as only the public enemy <laughs> can. And so Rocco sets like nearest the uh, the camera on his side, and then he just says, "Go on, Johnny, serve to me." And Johnny goes to serve and hits the ball over the fence, over the net, over. Um, Rocco Rock and about 30 yards out of the court into a tree uh, and my favourite part was was that Rocco Rock kind of started celebrating um, and just said yeah let's go um, yeah this is great um, the, the, these two are an absolute riot and um, yeah this this was um, them at their absolute peak I would say and they just Chris I mean you're obviously a bit new early the ECW fold than, than myself and Bob I mean what do you think of these public enemy skits I find them funny um, but I think they could get quite sort of they could get wearing if that's all they sort of do. Oh, that's it. It's one of those to me. It, it's just one of those things that it could get a bit old a bit quick. To be fair, that this is kind of like a, a mix of stuff they do. It is a fair bit of comedy, and there are some quite serious promos as well. So I, it would be remiss to think that this is kind of the, the majority of their style on the promo front. In fact, it's probably kind of once every couple of months they do something like this. Uh, I guess maybe the Florida stuff by the uh, on the veranda maybe was similar. But yeah, like I, th- this isn't all they do. I think that would be safe to say. Well said, Bob. Well done. Um, cutting back to the the wrestling, as we're here to discuss, we get Shane Douglas in ring. He's cutting about a promo, but he's really struggling to get anything over at all with the fans chanting goodbye at him. Um, he's trying to vent, but he then says that he's been to his lawyer. He's going to get her to do something. And he's bringing out his quote-unquote troubleshooting referee. Wasn't it his wife, not his lawyer? Was that not his legal representative that he'd been to to say do something? I might have picked that up wrong, Bob. Anything on that? It was the legal representative, and they were going to the State Athletic Commission. Yeah, I think think it was maybe like the referee was there at the back end the last month. He'd certainly been to Harlow and said do something. And he's getting his, his troubleshooting referee out, as Chris says, he's been to the Athletic State Commission. He's got a referee out here called Bill Alfonso. Two of them then stand up to Todd Gordon. Gordon comes out basically admonishing Douglas and what we doing. Um, he just kind of says if the rules aren't adhered to, then Douglas and his legal reps are pretty much going to try and get ECW shut down. Thus the presence of Bill Alfonso. Bob, do you want to talk about Bill Alfonso here at this point? Uh, yeah, yeah, now no, it's a good point. I guess when he does appear on the 30th as well. But yeah, I, it, it's an interesting addition and it, it, it will certainly tie into what we discuss at the end of the TV review in terms of the, 
the sustainability of ECW style, it may be that the one way of kind of reining it in a bit is just to have a kind of very opaque, very on-screen kind of heel referee that reins everything in by trying to kick things in the ring. So I guess that makes sense. Um, but yeah, and, and again, we'll probably leave that into that, but it's quite a clever idea. Uh, it's a, in a company where faces and heels often kind of meld into one it's nice that i think the fans are going to get somebody they can genuinely boo um and also on a quick note and again we'll discuss this when we get to um the douglas stuff um post tv review uh i do find it a bit weird how they finally really started to get some heel heat on douglas just as he's about to leave that's yep. a bit weird as well and i mean it's it's kind of weird as well as you say i mean it's almost art imitating life with the full kind of general concerns ECW and then you get Douglas in getting some bad guy heat with, uh, with the kind of introduction of Bill Alfonso as well and I mean he doesn't he doesn't mess about with getting his getting his screen time in next up we've got Mikey Whitbreck and Tommy Dreamer going up against the Raven and Steve Richards and your referee is Mr Bill Alfonso um, so Richards and Mikey start the match there's a blind tag to Tommy Dreamer who throws Richards to the outside Alfonso then making his mark holds Tommy back from going to the outside so instead he's getting that rotten roll rotten brawl from the the fans with the frying pans the cheese graters the chairs getting held up Alfonso holds him back and he hits a great DDT onto Steve Richards Mikey comes in goes for the pin but a bit of a delay just kind of stopping them getting that three count Dreamers is really just get Richards beat at this point, but he does make a point of waiting for the Raven. He wants to beat Raven, he doesn't want to beat Richards. So Richards manages to tag in, um, tag in for Mikey, who hits a Frankensteiner or a Franken Mikey, um, but Raven, who's been tagged in, just explodes at him. Um, Steve Richards gets back in. That's a power bomb for a two count. A double front face suplex with Raven to Mikey, but again, it's only a two count. Raven then just batters Mikey right in the skull with a running knee, but he manages somehow to kick out the plucky youngster. Um, there's a press slam to Mikey. He actually tries to launch him to the outside, so press slam onto the concrete, but luckily Tommy Dreamer, Mikey's new running buddy, manages to catch him in the outside. There's a spinning neck breaker. From Raven onto Mikey Whitbreck. Then he kind of just almost teases the tag to Tommy, but he doesn't manage to make it. Mikey goes for a planche out of the outside, but he misses. Dreamer then hits him, hits him onto Richards. Raven comes in, DDT's Mikey to the concrete, but as Dreamer starts to beat in Raven, again, Alfonso makes his mark known and actually calls for the bell. Harking back to the, the Cactus and Sandman match, Alfonso calls it a closed fist from Dreamer on Raven, calls for the bell, and Dreamer is disqualified. Now, Shane Douglas, obviously quite happy with his handiwork, comes back out, tries to goad Tommy Dreamer into punching Alfonso, but Cactus comes out, tells the franchise that no one wants him here. <laughs> That was a great line. Yeah. In amongst the line of really good, a month of really good Cactus Jack stuff, that was a really good line. And that just was almost, kind of the almost a throwaway line. Just no one wants you here anymore, Shane. 
in the crowd just obviously in total agreeance with, with Cactus Jack, another kind of pull apart brawl, the two of them try to come to blows, but as you say Bob, just another kind of golden nugget, it kind of make work for, for Cactus, and I mean the crowd as you say, they're really, really turning on Douglas now. I mean, they know what the story is. This is a smart crowd, these guys in Philadelphia. They know what's happening with Douglas. They don't want him anymore. They know he's just going to leave them when he gets a bit of, a bit of money, a better contract. And Cactus, again, just absolutely on fire with a microphone, even with that, that throwaway comment. And Del, can, I, can I chip in a... Certainly, um, Bob. Uh, well, it's my show, I suppose. Um, can <laughs> I... Um, on the subject of the Raven Dreamer stuff, and I, I don't think we'll do, you know, too much on it this month, given that, you know, it, it, it's not going to stop anytime soon, I don't yep. think. Um, uh, and maybe tell this to Chris, given that Chris hasn't said anything in a while, but in terms of how that could progress, is it worth Mikey Whitwreck pinning Raven uh, and, and having kind of not only can... Dream and not get the job done, but Dream is running, mate. And admittedly, they haven't done a ton with that kind of pairing. But maybe develop a storyline that way? Could do it that way. That, that's something, I've not thought of it like that, that you could do it. You know, it, it means that Raven's not invincible, but it's just that Tommy can't do it. Because I think it might then play into, sorry Chris, it might then play into the like, maybe there's more going on in Dreamer's mind and, you know, cause I don't think you want to be beating Raven very often, but I think Mikey's the kind of guy that we know has that fluky underdog upset in him that he's just about convincing enough that doesn't take a lot away from Raven, but could potentially add a lot to this storyline. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, you saying it, it makes sense, cause if you think of some of the ways that Raven wins some of these matches, it's off fluky things. It'll be like the, the first match they had this month where he won. He was getting his ass handed to him for most of it. He got the one power slam in and got the win. Um, other matches he's had last month when Stevie's got involved and that's meant that he's got the win. Having someone fluke a win on him that isn't Tommy shows that he isn't infallible. And he can be beaten, which then sort of it would make you want dreamers to do it more because it can be done i i don't know what yeah i mean the ultimate end of that storyline you know could potentially be dreamer getting jealous of mikey i'm not saying they want to be be turning dreamer heel in any way he's one of the most popular guys they've got but i just think if we're going to talk about a storyline that's you know we're, we're five months into this and it it's still it's still adding layer by layer, month by month. So I don't think we're going to be wrapped up by July or anything like that. If we're going about a storyline that's going months and months, that's a kind of little six week program you could do. Yeah, it's something that you could you could get to go for for the month and sort of diff- makes it a little bit different for the live audience as well. Because obviously, if you if the, every show you go to, you're going to get Tommy versus Raven in some form. With Stevie floating about, have throwing Mikey in there sort of mixes it up a little bit, and you could you can then have Tommy as a bit of the cheerleader for Mikey outside. Oh. There we have it. Book it, Bob strikes again. Well done, Bob. So moving on, last month of TV for the month we've got thirtieth of May. A couple of recaps at the start, just going on the full kind of Douglas Alfonso segment, but we've got added comments from Todd Gordon at this point saying Douglas should calm down. Take a volume, and why is he so anal? Um, we cut again to one of the rematches 
for the TV title. We've got Guerrero and Malenko again. Kind of what we were saying earlier on with the, the kind of full 30 minutes playing out in TV. We do get some camera cuts in this one, not giving us the full 30 minutes, but a bit of an added kind of bonus for the TV audience at this point. We've got a, a guest on commentary. Um, it's introduced by Joey Styles as a, a former amateur wrestling champion, a, a judo, um, a judo kind of experience in that as well, and it's Peter Sinercio. Um, kind of a bit more on that at the end. Big fight feel with the match, obviously with these two kind of putting on the matches that they've been doing. Fast start to it again. Phil Nelson and Malenko dragged into an arm bag with uh, an arm drag by Guerrero and just again kind of showing that these two can really go go one on one and kind of have the match almost of each other. Um, we get then Malenko gets um, Guerrero down on the outside. Really keep my methodical pace this time, the shooter. Actually then manages to get a tiger bomb onto the former black tiger. And Guerrero really just selling well and looks dazed throughout. He gets a, a belly back suplex for Malenko. He then gets a two count for that. Eddie gets back up. Hit then again with a jumping tombstone, but again kicks out at two. Guerrero, right in the eyes, manages to get a bit more momentum. Goes for a spin in DDT, but Malenko just launches him across the ring. Shooter then goes for a Boston Crab. Guerrero reverses into a close pinfall and the two of them strike each other down with, with close lines at the same point. Kind of going on in the, the match, we've got Shooter actually going to the top rope for kind of, again, unknown reasons. Eddie nails him with a superplex, but just because of the injuries, can't quite capitalise on it. Guerrero gets a, a shoulder up after a, a hurry, a hurricanana from Eddie on to Dean Malenko, but he does seem to land quite awkwardly on the, the back of his neck, causing a blade job. And there's kind of good colour commentary from Sinertia, no pun intended. Um, Guerrero gets his shoulder up at that point, reverses a, a cloverleaf attempt from Malenko into a near fall. Eddie gets a second win, goes to the top row, gets a Frankensteiner, nearest pinfall in a match. More close counts, a couple of back and forward as the two of them is really kind of starting to struggle. Guerrero manages to get a figure four in. But again, the bell goes, another time limit draw, Guerrero retains, and again, just the crowd showing their, their appreciation. Um, we then cut backstage to Joey Styles. He's going to introduce the guest called Tormentator from the match. Again, it was kind of harking back to the, the experience and the individual involved, the judo background, the wrestling background, the amateur background. And surprisingly enough, it seems to be none other than what seems to be a repackaged Taz. It's not a Taz maniac, but it's Taz just kind of standing backstage, leather jacket on, baseball cap, just looking really like a boss. And it's kind of hopefully an end to the the furry singlet that we've come to know from the Taz maniac. Um, Bob, I'm going to want to talk about this at the at the end of the show here because I was really really impressed with this. The match itself, there was some good kind of colour analysis in this match. I mean, it's obviously something we ECW that we're really used to with Joey Styles being on his own, but I just thought this was a really, really innovative way to to introduce this new new Taz character as opposed to the Taz maniac. I don't know what you thought of this. Yeah, certainly a very unique way of doing it, the whole Mm. kind of, you know, introducing as Peter Sinertia and then kind of, He's a, he's a good commentator. I'll give him that first time out. He's not bad. Yep. Um, uh, uh, and then ha- have the reveal. I guess it's a, a change of direction that makes sense now that Taz isn't tagging with 
uh, with Sabu. Sabu, uh, yeah. Best I can tell, the stuff that Joe Styles attributed, attributing to him, some was true, some wasn't, but I guess that's fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'll give him it. It was a different way, not something that you, you expect very often. I, I liked it. Yeah, uh, n- nothing significant, but a, a, a tick in the box. Yeah, definitely, definitely innovative. Um, just another couple of things from the the thirtieth, just before we can have a general chit chat on the the month ECW that we've seen in May. Richards. Go away. The scars that Luna left on Richard's back is nothing compared to the mental anguish I live with every day. Between the idea and the reality, between the motion and the act, falls the raven. Between conception and creation, between emotion and response falls the raven. History is a pattern of timeless moments. And Tommy Dreamer, you know full well that ours are intertwined forever. And it amuses me to think that the girlfriend of your youth now worships me. And the hideous gargoyle I was once stuck with is now stuck to you. Luna, to spend another night of carnal lust with you, I'd sooner be crucified. Quote the raven, nevermore. Got a raven promo pre-tape, kind of brings out Steve Richards, showing him the scars on his back that was left by Luna last week. He says they are nothing on his scars of mental anguish. It builds up that history that he's got with Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer has now got um, his former girlfriend, Beulah. She's now with the Raven. And Luna, quote-unquote, the gargoyle that he was stuck with, as in Raven, she's now with Tommy. Again, just building that intrigue into that, that feud that we're seeing building. And then just the kind of last... Um, that's kind of really notable point of the TV month for me. We've got another Cactus Jack and Sandman match, just obviously kind of playing out Sandman's introduction at the beginning, kind of almost taking up as much time as his matches these days, straight to the outside, and just right from the get-go, we've got a ridiculous Cactus Jack bump. He kind of rolls over the the guardrail and tries to scent on Sandman, but obviously with the concrete floor, just takes a flat back bump onto the concrete, Little kind of contact with Sandman, but just right from the start, it just kind of shows you the the kind of aspect that these two guys bring to these, not even matches, these fights or these brawls. Um, they get a brief journey into the bleachers. Sandman working over cactus with a chair when they get back to the ringside. Sandman rakes the eyes, uses the ring post, tries to get a bit of, a bit of control in the match, and then using the cactus and uses the fans' chairs to ram Sandman in the head first. Um, back in the ring. There's a, there's a hard Irish whip to Cactus. There's almost an athletic manoeuvre again from Sandman. Second one for the month after the sand, after the, the snapmare. Kind of jumps over the ropes and manages to kick, um, kick Cactus right in the face. Kind of pretty impressive for the Sandman. Um, there's then some kind of in-ring 
quips from Sandman on the characters just blasting them into the turnbuckles, then gets over, just starts punching and kicking Jack, just kind of falls to his knees, but characters being characters does manage to get a bit of a, a brawl back at the champion. Um, there's a kick to the gut, gets his spinning neck breaker, but it's only a two count, and the Sandman then manages to back body drop characters back out onto the concrete, Another bad bump for Jack. Um, Jack's just then getting thrown over the the railing. He lands in the chairs, kind of fortunately. But then Sandman, almost kind of taking advantage of these two spots that he's had so far in the month with almost athleticism, quite unbelievably, he gets up to the ring apron. Jack's still laid out in the chairs, over the guardrail, obviously, in the fans' chairs at ringside. He tries to leap the guardrail from the apron, but then catches himself on the guardrail itself. He, he almost breaks his neck, basically, at this point. We try to jump from the apron over the, the guardrail to land on Jack. Luckily, Sandman's back up a couple of seconds later. Um, back in the ring, got a long-standing pile driver from Cactus. The Sandman then throws a table into the ring. Landing in Jack's ankle, he's kind of crawling about as if he's broke his ankle at this point. Bit of a botch with the, the table landing on top of him, but Cactus then gets whipped into a chair in the corner. Jack's head rebounds off and he catches Sandman with a clothesline. Now, at this point, we alluded to this earlier on with these bumps and tables and Sandman that's that's coming up. Bob, you were very kind enough to share this with the listeners as well, so they can definitely go back and watch this, but even for ECW it, it gets pretty worrying to watch. Sandman gets laid out in the table Jack's moved it to basically perch it against the ropes at this point but instead of maybe going for a tackle or kind of just challenging Sandman, putting him through that table that's sitting against the ropes Jack lifts up the table Sandman's kind of laying out on it and he just flips Sandman over the ropes attached to the table he almost lands head first on the concrete um, again, luckily I think he did I mean, <laughs> he, just, just, he, he yeah. just tips over the top rope oh, and just yeah. falls straight down it's just really uncut. I mean, he's just kind of perched on the table flips over there's no way to protect your, protect your fall on that I mean, bear in mind he's got a table falling on top of him as well at this point, I mean, it's just really, really uncomfortable. And then just with it being ECW, a couple of seconds later, there's a bucket of barbed wire appears out of nowhere. Cactus then kind of trying to buy a bit of time for Sandman just so he can actually kind of catch the stars that's gone around his head at this point. Starts wrapping up his fist, wrapping up his arm with this barbed wire, and then just starts working over Sandman with it. It's a double arm DDT to the Sandman. He's got the match one. But again, running out of nowhere, Shane Douglas comes back in, manages to get the champion's leg onto the ropes with it, the referee's seeing. So Cactus gets a two count only. And then when accosting Douglas, Cactus gets crotched by the Sandman with his cane. Sandman retains as the referee counts to three. Chris, I'm going to come to you first on this because this for me was as much as you can go back and watch the Malenko Guerrero stuff a couple of times just because it's bloody good. This is something that I watched a couple of times just to see what was it planned? Was it it just really, really unsettled me and for some of it's been watching ECW since it kinda of pretty much since it rose for the Ashes back in August last year. 
I was just really, really uncomfortable with us. What, what did you make of the end of this match with the full table thing with Sandman especially? It was one of those, of with that drop from that table, I very much was like, is he okay? Because mm. as someone who's had a, a neck injury, I know how easy it is for things to break and how lucky you have to be to not do any permanent damage. And I mean, bear in mind, this came after that, that bump in the middle of the match as well, but he near enough went kind of arse over tit, kind of got over the guardrail for the apron. Yeah. It, it was one of those, of some of those bumps and unhuman anatomy can, can actually end up crippling people. So it's one of those, if, if they're going to take those sort of bumps too often, it, it could be a little bit too much. Um, as I said, I did rewatch this match again because I was just like just to make sure I'd seen what I thought I'd saw <laughs> for, for some of them like Cactus doing the cannonball was one of them I was just like how how did he just do that and well done like five seconds out of the match yeah um, but obviously the barbed wire coming out is is a new level of extreme um, is is this going to be a, the next staple from you know frying pans cheese graters now we're getting to wrapping up your fists with industrial barbed wire. Yeah, Bob, would you would you make it this overall? I mean, especially just the last couple of minutes of this match. Where did you, where did you see it going, and where do you think you where it did go? Well, I mean, it was it was typical kind of you know Cactus Jack fair, and that it wouldn't be a Cactus Jack match if he didn't try and kill himself at least once. And it this was them on the real ragged edge of of, of well, I don't know. I mean, just like. I don't know whether it's bravery or stupidity, some of the stuff they're doing, but that table spot, I mean, my word, the, the only, I said the only, the, the, the real disappointment with that was that, uh, and I've had this critique before about Cactus Jack in that I feel like if you're gonna do the insane stuff, you can't do it one after the other because they all kind of lose a bit of focus. And with, yeah. and admittedly, the, the table spot was, was bigger than anything else they did before. But I don't think I'd have had Sandman get up from that. I, I, I kind of felt like it weakened the spot given that about 30 seconds later Sandman popped up. All right. He was a bit sparko. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that I'd have been doing that. But yeah, a, a, an insane spot and, uh, probably the the most dangerous thing I've seen in, in in the two years we've been doing the project, I would think. You should have seen my home run swing. At the tender age of six, a right-handed drive that almost every time would send the wiffle ball over the fence that separated my house from the Fries, whose little kid, for some reason at age three, called my parents by their first name. And every time I rounded those bases after another titanic drive, I'd stop between second and third, run into my house where my mother could joyously jot down which home run number I'd just hit. We were up to 111 by mid-July. And then the rains came. Because Tom Daw at age 12 couldn't take it anymore, so he outsmarted me knowing what foolish pride was. Even in a six-year-old, he climbed up on the fence, and there he waited. And every time, like a giant bird, he'd steal the ball and steal what was rightfully mine. And so the home run derby suddenly became the trail of tears where I'd run into my home. Not to say, Mommy, Mommy, look what your little boy did. 
but to say, Mommy, Mommy, why are they doing this to me? And my father looked at me and said, Mick, take it to right field. It would have been so easy. I had half the field to hit to. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, that's not my way. That's just not my way. And so we enter the world of professional wrestling where Cactus Jack began to carve out his own style. A style based on blood. A style based on sweat and more than a few tears. And we enter the dressing room in Canton, Ohio in 1989. And one of the most revered figures in the history of our sport walks up to me after a particularly grueling match and says, No one cares about you. No one cares about your style. And with a certain gleam in his eye, he told me, not as a prediction, but as fact, You'll be in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. Well, I've got one week to go. And I've been doing it my way, the concrete way. And I know deep in my heart that people may give lip service and say, Oh, poor Cactus Jack, he's got a wife and two kids. But should I fail to get off the ground one of these times, and I end up where that wrestler predicted I would, deep in their hearts there'd be a look of joy. There'd be happiness because they'd realize that they were right and that the man who made their jobs just a little bit more difficult was no more. So we're one week away. It would be so easy just to go in, dance around, and make my way to age 30, and then I could retire having proven them all wrong. But that would be kind of like taking the ball the right field, wouldn't it? You see, the wrestling world better accept as I approach this milestone of my life that I'm going to crash through my third decade in the sport the way I entered it. My way. Dropping elbows where you can feel the thud of human flesh beating concrete. And if you don't like it, if the older generation doesn't see fit, get a new job. And I mean, looking, looking even at the bigger picture as well, I mean, it kind of ties into what we were looking to discuss as well, just with the kind of general style ECW and how, how this can be sustained kind of long term more than, more than just week to week. I mean, we've already seen this kind of saga almost in Malenko and, Malenko and Guerrero, so ECW can do that stuff. I mean, it's almost as if they've got the perfect recipe for a card at the minute where they've got the kind of TV title which seems to be coming the wrestling match. You've got the tag division that is taking a bit of a back step this month, but building up to that three way dance last month, it was arguably the hottest tag team division that there's been in a, a good number of years. And you've got the title matches in here, you've got blood feuds with Raven and Dreamer. I mean they've got the, the basis of a good card here, but I mean this extreme side it's special when you're seeing a champion is kind of limited as what Sandman is from an athletic point of view. You've got him going up against Cactus, King of the Death match, where everybody knows the stories for Japan with him and Funk. But uh, uh, do you see this as being a long-term strategy for this company, Bob? Um, well, I, I, I guess it, the, the, there's two ways of looking at it. One, in terms of how the, 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 the style affects the talent physically, and two, in terms of how the style affects... 
um, the company and how they can present mm-hmm. shows going forward. I mean, physically, you to a point you're probably always going to be able to find a production line of guys that are going to be able to do this, whether you can find a, a number of guys that can do this for a long enough period of time, I guess we don't know. Um, and it, it kind of comes down to how much influence you've got on, on the locker room to be able to talk them into doing things like this. Um, physically, the answer in short is I guess we don't know um, in, in terms of and it kind of ties back into the Cactus Jack prep. I mean, the, you know, this is the kind of style that should have put me in a wheelchair by the time I'm 30. Well, guess what? I'm 30 this month and I'm still here. Um, but it's kind of like, yeah, they might have been wrong about the date, but I don't get the sense the way it's going. They're going to end up being wrong. If you keep wrestling like this for, I don't know, X number of years, physically it can't be good but I think the the discussion on the physicality is kind of here and there in the sense that the answer in short is I don't know I think the the bigger thing that we can probably discuss as well as that first point is the sustainability of this on the product in the every time you 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 raise the bar to a new height like they did with this kind of with that table spot and with that kind of match you pop the crowd Great. Yeah. You pop the audience. Great. But you try and you do a same level thing the next time and you pop them ever so slightly less. And you do the same level the next time you pop them ever so slightly less because they've seen a similar type of shock and all before. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Instinct says we got to get bigger. Fine. You do it. You do something bigger. You pop the crowd. But the point is, is that as time goes on, if you keep ending up on that pattern, you end up having to do some ridiculous stuff just to keep getting the same level of reaction. And I do wonder, to tie this in with the other bit we discussed about, I do wonder whether Bill Valfonso, the character, is there in part to try and help them rein it in. Yeah. Um, because I think, and, and there were reports this month that they've been discussing this, um, you know, kind of in the locker room in terms of the long-term viability of this kind of style. And I wonder whether they're going... And the other point, and as I said, there's, there's a lot of layers to this kind of discussion, is ECW as a company, a lot of the stuff we talk about ownership is to do with the company ultimately looking to expand. We can't really discuss a lot of it because at the moment it's just smoke. You know, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of noise, but there's not a lot there. Um, ECW, if they're going to look to expand, the more you look to expand, the more difficult it's going to be because you start dealing with television. You start dealing with television, you start running into problems with, with TV producers. Look at WCW. You know, they've had, they've been in hot water with, um, you know, with the press and all of a sudden WCW kind of locked up their attitude. We saw stuff with WWF last year as well. The bigger you get, the more difficult it becomes to wrestle like this and therefore the more niche you stay. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's tricky because the bigger ECW you get, the more they all have to, you know, to kind of borrow a political term, the more they will have to kind of, you know, lean in towards the centre. And the closer the centre they get, the less special they become. So it's a really interesting dynamic. But, but yeah, pick on, pick on whatever you like on those points. Yeah, I mean, I, sorry, Cass, only go. It's just to say, as Bob was saying, it's like basically every time you do something, you've got to. Every time you do that one pop the first time, you get a massive reaction. You get less and less and less every time. What is it going to be next? Is it going to be barbed wire ta- tables, flaming tables, jumps from tops of buildings? Are they going to 
bring the scaffold match they used to do in WCW back, but instead of them taking a slight fall off the top of a ladder and landing on their feet, are they going to be throwing them out of rings onto the concrete floor? Someone's going to get really hurt. And the thing is, with it, if it happens once and then you get a lawsuit, does the whole house of cards fall down? Well, I mean, there was definitely a bit of irony in the fact that Douglas was coming out and talking about the rules when he was bringing in Bill Alfonso, saying that, listen, if these rules don't get away, the Athletic Commission's going to be charged with kind of shutting this place down. I mean, it is really art imitating life, where this, this is genuinely a thing. I mean, Chris, just coming to you, what do you think would be better for ECW? Do you think looking towards in an ideal world, getting national expansion, or God, even a couple of years down the line, we could maybe even be looking at pay-per-views here. Do you think that would be better for them in becoming that bigger company, but then the hardcore fans with almost almost shunning it and maybe going a bit more underground to try and find the next ECW. Do you think that would be better for them or do you think that they do have an innovative product here and that would be better sticking to what they know and then if it gets mainstream brilliant, if it doesn't, who cares? What do you think would be best for them? I think you can still do what they're doing now and expand, but at the same time you can also tone it down a little bit and expand because obviously they've got the wrestling side and the crowd, as we've seen, are captivated for a half an hour match between two people that ends in a draw. They stand up and they want five more minutes and cheering yeah. the people, both of them out of the building. So it's not like the crowd are going back to you know ancient times, like the Roman Colosseum, baying for blood. They're not there. Just everything has to be life or death and everyone has to die. I think if you you can still use the extreme stuff and the violence, but if you use it a bit more sparingly, it becomes more special. So yeah. do do like they did in the in the match with Jack and Sandman, the barbed wire spot or the table spot, but don't do it every time you have a match with them. Yeah, it's like if you I know we haven't seen him this month, thankfully, but Axel and Ian. Yeah. That's that is literally what the downfall of ECW could be because each time they're having a match, it's getting more violent. It's what's the next stipulation that makes it more violent? You know what? What are they going to do next? Come out with razor blades stuck to the hands and punching each other? You know because you know everything they do is going up a step. So in that factor, it, it could actually be detrimental to them. You you can still use the same level of stuff that you do now, but use it a little bit more sparingly. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, the crowd are there. The crowd love the wrestling side of it, and the characters and everything else that's there. It's like they went mental for that Taz and 911 squash match. Yeah. There was no ultra-violence there, and it wasn't even like a classic wrestling match. But the crowd absolutely adored it. it it's teaching the audience that they still can have the blood but making it more special can almost try and make it smarter than what they're doing instead they just kind of throw in everything at everything just kind of keep those those moments special i mean even looking at a, a smaller picture bob coming back to you i spoke earlier on about ECW almost having this recipe for a perfect card at the minute with the wrestling match, the tag match, the title match, the blood match. 
do you think having this title situation that is with Sandman and almost using these bells and whistles and the kind of hot shot booting and kind of putting these big spots into matches, do you think it kind of takes it away from maybe like an undercard where you've maybe got Raven and Dreamer who have built up this kind of feud over four or five months where they legitimately want to kill each other but then you're going to see it again in a main event for a title and it maybe means a bit more. Do you think it takes away from some of the other angles on a card? Well, there's a a very interesting throwback to, uh, I don't know if quotes is the right way, probably comments attributed to Sabu in the last couple of months yeah, when we, we talk about kind of his exit and the stuff surrounding that. Yeah. There were, oh, perception is the wrong word, I think there was a, a, a genuine kind of um, insight from Sabu in the sense that in the final few months of the EC, ECW run, he was unhappy for a number of reasons. One of those which, and it did kind of play out on TV a little bit, was that... Sabu, when he was first in ECW, the, 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 the foot of 1994 was the guy doing all the insane shit, throwing himself through tables, doing all that kind of stuff. But it was special because it was him doing it. And one of yeah. the reasons he was getting frustrated was that a lot of people, you know, went, once Sabu had ascended up the car, a lot of people on the undercar were doing his stuff. And, yeah. and it kind of comes back to what I said in the sense that it, it becomes harder to draw a pop when you're, um, when you're trying to follow stuff before that, that that's gone on like that, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't help. But I mean, I, I guess there's there's a wider segue, I guess, into. I mean, just to make another quick point before I probably kind of shuffle us into the the, the Douglas Jack Sandman stuff. If you compare ECW to the two major companies, and it's not to compare them in a sense that they'll be alongside them anytime soon, if at all. You look at where WCW are as a product, not in terms of popularity, because with Hogan on top there, popularity seems to be pointing in the right direction if you want to look at the right metrics. You look at WCW and look at the WWF. Look at the product they're putting out. You don't, you can sit, and I come back to the political thing as well, you can sit a little over to the right and still make massive waves and not be anywhere near as extreme as extreme championship wrestling is now. Mm-hmm. And that would be a kind of wider point. But to just that was really kind of my point on that was just to say that, you know, in terms of if they're going to look to grow, I think their, their main area of growth is probably going to be trying to take some chips out of the big two. I don't think they need to do anything much more extreme than they've been doing in the last six months. And the fact, I think, that one of the things that makes ECW stand out so much isn't necessarily the extreme wrestling. It's all the other the stuff they're doing that's really good um but in terms of the, the, the sandman stuff i don't know about either of you two but i don't think this was a great opening month for sab uh, for sandman no. as champion not in the sense that what they gave him to do was bad i think just more that i kind of got to the end of the month and he already had three matches with with cactus jack on tv which was probably one too many but i got to the end and i kind of said to myself Sandman could be doing this without the championship. I don't get the sense the championship's elevating. I get, I get the sense he's dragging it down. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I mean, it ties in, Bob, as you were saying. I mean, a lot of these things that we're discussing at this point really tie in the, together. I mean, having this full extreme situation as we've had and then leading on to Sandman, it's, it kind of ties in as, as much as we loved Shane Douglas's run in the company. It was almost as if you kind of forgot about him sometimes because he wasn't featured week on week. You would you would see the odd match with him, but the focus was either on 
the full kind of NWA situation last year that it was in with Tommy Dreamer and Sandman. It was in with Cactus Jack and Terry Funk with their tag matches and then later on Sabu was involved in that as well with the extreme side there. I think they've, they've kind of went the opposite way with Sandman. We're having that first month. We've seen him as much in May as we arguably did with Shane Douglas in January up until May where you're kind of seeing him every week and with it being Sandman where if you'd have seen that with Douglas you would have got different matches, you would have got solid promos on it as well. With Sandman it's kind of the same match that you're seeing and the biggest thing you kind of get in that emotional investment off a crowd is with the violence and is with these big these big kind of moments where he's kind of getting flipped over ropes and he's landing in kind of chairs on the outside of the guard rail and it's almost as if it's like, well, we've seen that. We've seen it last week. I mean, adding in Shane Douglas was kind of good, good booking where obviously he's bringing in Bill Alfonso as well. And there's that kind of side there, but kind of having his, his story going on with Cactus. There's the history with those two there. There's the history with the belt. There's those two you could almost be forgiven for believing it's them going for the belt instead of remembering that it's Sandman that's got it. I mean, it's almost as if they've overexposed him in this this first month. I mean, Chris, what do you think about kind of more Sandman to start with, but then leading on to the, the Cactus and Douglas element as well? What do you think of Sandman's first month? It's exposed the fact that he's not that good. Yeah. It, it's very much shown most of his weaknesses that he is, in a way, an entrance. Because the most over thing about him is him coming out to Metallica. Well, you see um, him standing there with women at the start, and as I said earlier on the TV interview, I mean, you've got that lasting for half the time near enough as long as he matches. It, it, it's very much showing what's wrong with him, and it, it doesn't make you feel that they have massive amounts of, of hope for him to be anything with this title, because mm-hmm. he's not even the story in his own feud. Yeah. Because, yes, he's the champion, but the feud is Shane and Cactus. Yeah. The blow-off will be Shane and Cactus. It won't have anything to do with Sandman, which, for your first month as champion, to be second fiddle in your own story... It's not a great start, yeah. ...doesn't doesn't lead you with a, a great amount of hope for him going forward. Um... But because coming out of this month, I want to see Shane versus Jack, and I want to know if we're going to get that and how that's going to blow out. And, and I couldn't give two tosses about Sandman. Bob, expanding this and kind of bringing in Douglas and Cactus here, I want you to try and explain something for me, or at least help me in my understanding of something. Shane Douglas lost this belt last month to the Sandman, and Sandman is now fighting with Cactus, but with it being the ECW is the kind of, almost like an outlaw wrestling firm, kind of cut back to the 80s. It's kind of, he's still there, but he's not there. And I mean, I don't, especially with, as Chris was saying there, I mean, this, this kind of almost triple threat, no pun intended, with the three of these guys, it seems to be more about Douglas and Cactus and I don't understand why they felt the need to put it on Sandman with getting that title then going into the programme with Cactus if it was you booking this Bob would you not feel it was as if it was 
kind of a more sensible transition for it to tell that Douglas character's story over the belt to make it kind of more more meaningful at the time, and then maybe once Douglas is away, bringing in a Sandman possibly. Would you not? Would you not think it would make more sense telling that story first instead of telling it in the aftermath when you've got Sandman there just kind of having a cigarette at the back of those two brawling? I'm not sure the story makes sense while Douglas has still got the belt, though. That would be my kind of thing in the sense that the right. whole story was that, um, you know, Douglas lost the title and then uh, it transpired that they were going to give Catcher's Jack the first shot at Sandman. Um, and that got Douglas really jealous and pissed off. And that kind of transpired as, as everything did throughout the month. That's how we set this up. So I don't know how else you'd have got to that storyline while Douglas was still champion. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, ECW is not a promotion that's afraid to have the, the major storyline being not about the championship. I mean, Shane Douglas as champion was a long way away from the, a lot much further away from the major storyline as champion at times in his run than Sandman is this time. Um, so yeah, I mean, Sandman is the third wheel, but the, the story kind of makes sense now. But yeah, I agree with Chris. The the blow off is Douglas and Cactus Jack. It's not Douglas and Sandman. And I would suspect. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, the other thing is we the the, uh, the 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 Douglas to the WWF thing has kind of gone cold. I don't know what that's all about. I, that 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 hasn't gone anywhere in the month. Um, so I don't know where that's going to lead. But to be honest, I, I'm. At the end of last month, I was under the impression that we just weren't going to see Douglas again. And ironically, we've probably seen Douglas more this yep. month than we have for, for most other months, mm-hmm. um, even when he was champion. Um, but yeah, to answer the original question, I, I don't know how you'd have got to that program otherwise. Um, and I, I don't think it's been bad. As I say, say the over-scripted in the middle of the month, I, I think the program's been quite good. And I think the moment where, where Cactus Jack said, nobody wants you here, was a really good line. But again, I, I do question the fact that it seems like, not that Douglas was cold as champion, he certainly wasn't, but he was a guy who kind of flip-flopped between being a, a, a an archetypal babyface and a bit more of a heel as much as you can within ECW. And it feels like they finally made him a heel just as he's about to go out the door. And that seems a bit strange. So, leading us on to to June, are we still going to see Sandman with the belt? Are we still going to see Shane Douglas on on TV? Cactus Jack, is he going to make it to 30? Who knows? Um, That pretty much wraps it up for for me. Um, Chris Lacey, got quite a good bit of news this month, talking about your your Super Brawls podcast back back at 20 years ago mode. You got a good bit of news this month, tell the people about it. We are now part of a network of podcasts just in time um, for probably what I would say has been our best show that we've done. It's one of the ones I actually listened back to and didn't sort of go, oh my God, what have I said there? And oh, that's a bit... Because <laughs> you're always really overly self-critical when you listen back to these things. Um, I'm not. But... I always think my shows are great. You're amazing, Bob. I know. That's, it's because you're the best thing since sliced everything. Well, that's true. But yeah, no, just in time for our best ep- well, what I say is I've been our best episode of Wrestle War. Um, we are part of the OSW um, network, which basically means that they have loads of fans. Hopefully, it means that we'll get more rears listening onto us as we are cracking through the joy that is 1989. Um, you can find us on iTunes by looking at Super Brawls. Um, search Twitter for Super Brawls and uh, Facebook for Super Brawls. It's all nice and simple. 
And for uh, any backstage gossip on the Super Brawls franchise, Chris, where can we find you on Twitter? Lacey555666. Mostly probably going to be spending most of the summer bitching about whether if Norwich get promoted or not, and transfer targets. Well, there you go. That's a, that's a teaser if ever I had one, Chris. Uh, Bob, uh, Norwich, uh, Chris, I was under the impression Norwich was still in the Premier League, but maybe I'm still in 20 years ago mode. Um, but, <laughs> uh, 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 and Norwich is going to get promoted this year? I, I see us getting to the final. Um, but... This is weird because we're, well, the person we're recording this now is a primarily American audience that probably doesn't give a crap about Division 1 <laughs> in England. And secondly, we're, this isn't going to go out. We're going to get the, the, uh, the playoff final is already going to happen by the time this show goes out. But yes, give us your predictions on the record at least mid-May. We can play it back I... next month when you're grossly wrong. <laughs> I'm going to go, Norwich are going to beat Ipswich and we're going to get Middlesbrough in the final and go to penalties. And do it on penalties had it here first the 1995 um, what was it back then Division 1 who sponsored it back in 95 I can't remember Coca-Cola was it or was it Nationwide no it was definitely Nationwide but was it anything before that I don't know I would still keep an eye out on Alan Sheeler and Blackburn Rovers if I was you boys but well Bamba sell yourself Yes, this is this is much more nonsense than I usually tolerate at the end of the show. This is why I put, this is why I put it at the end. Uh, yes, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bobby Bamba, and everything else is pretty much podcast related, which um, Dell you can um, you can field in a minute. But yes, uh, this month we've also got um, this is the 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 classic now kind of very regular feature where we record ECW first and then it goes on last in the order. Um, so next Thursday, I think we're taping the WWF stuff, and then uh, on Saturday the 30th of May, we're doing the WCW thing, and then I'm going to upload it all. Um, and yes, Dell, you you will fill in the rest of the plugs. The other thing is because because Dell will forget it, and I won't blame him for forgetting this one. Um, <laughs> We are now doing uh, a monthly email newsletter, um, so you can find out. Just go on the go on the site, and there's there's links at the foot of the page, and there's links on every article now. So yes, if you can't get enough of us via Facebook and via Twitter, and you definitely don't want to to uh, to miss the podcast coming out, sign up to our email newsletter, and you'll get that into your inbox, and that will link you to all of the podcasts from the month and a select of uh, number of blogs. That's that. Sign up on the website, wrestling20yrs.com. As Bob says, you can get the RSS feed there. You can pick up the blogs, pick up the results, pick up the podcast that's available archived as well. And that's a Wrestling 20 Years Ago newsletter that will come through. No junk, no guff, just no, the best. No. Of the... I, I don't care enough to, to work out how to spam people, so I'm not going to try. Well, there you go. That's, that's, that's commitment. Fi- to... That's the philanthropic answer is that I'm not yep. evil enough to work out how to do it. That's commitment to an audience. We can't be bothered annoying you. So you'll just get one a month. So wrestling20yrs.com, Facebook wrestling20yrs. Give us a like, give us a comment, check out the blogs and feel free you, to share You can also views. see that, uh, that Sandman spot. I mean, it is on the network. Um, if you want to go back and watch the 30th of May edition of, uh, uh, of ECW, but I have uploaded a, like a 15 second clip of the Soundman spot and I will let you guys decide how dangerous you think that was. Uh, so yeah, exactly. you've got to go onto our Facebook page and find the videos. Obviously, depending on when you're listening to this, it will be in May of 2015. So I don't know, you know, whenever you're hearing this, go back and find it, but it'll be in the video section. I don't generally upload that many. Although I did upload an absolute corker this month of, uh, it was, uh, Diamond Dallas Page. 
um, the Diamond Doll, Max Muscle, and Eric Bischoff playing golf, uh, which is a fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic two-minute WCW segment. Um, but yes, if, if you want to go and seek out that clip, just go to the video section on our Facebook page and you should find it. Assuming Facebook exists by the time you listen to this, I don't know. If you, you're picking up this show ten years down the line, maybe Facebook will have disappeared. I don't know. That's that, so Facebook and check out all that stuff. You can check Twitter as well, Twitter forward slash at Wrestling20YRS. Give us a follow, check for the house show results, check for the blogs getting up and any random Facebook links in there as well. Last of all, but by no means least, you can pick us up on iTunes, search for Wrestling20YRS. Give us a, give us a subscription. Give us a comment, give us a like. Please recommend this to anybody you think is going to be interested. I'll try and kind of beat the, the miraculous numbers of Super Bros now that they're on the old SW network. Last of all, if you've not heard enough of my ramblings, I'm Dell underscore Muir. And for the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, that was Bob Bamber, Chris Lacey. My name's Del Muir. And until next time, goodbye. <laughs>